right, guys. Good evening and welcome to episode 40 of the Racing Line podcast. Joe, can you believe that it's almost 40 hours of pod, of of content that we've thrown on the air now? Like, who would have thought halfway through last quick. year that would still be here? It's been awesome. Um, all right, guys. Welcome to another um, episode. Tonight, we're going to start by talking about the MotoGP that took place um, last night um, at the Assen TT. And then we're going to get into something a little bit different tonight. We're going to have a little bit of a fat chew um, about the upcoming regulation change in WEC, just because it's a bit of a slow week in Formula One. Um, and we're going to just have a bit of a discussion about all the new manufacturers moving into the category, what it means for the category and for sports car um, in general. And, you know, if you are a fan of racing, why you should be excited for what is um, about to unfold in the world of the World Endurance Championship and um, IMSA GT Championship or Sports Car Championship, um, which is stateside. So, Joey, we'll start with the MotoGP. Um, great race in Assen. Um, where to begin? I guess we'll begin with Quattararo. Um, has been, well, let's start with this, actually. But, you know, if, if you haven't watched the race and you do want to watch the race, please pause this and, and, and jump on and watch one of the minis now. Um, but with that now being said... And our unpaid the, sponsor, Foxtel, slash KO. Or KO. Um, but with that being said, the top three positions from the race meet were uh, Peko Bagnaya taking home uh, gold. Uh, in second place, we had um, Marco Bezecchi for the VR46 team. So their first um, podium in the premier class in their first year in the premier class, which was really fantastic to see. They were both quite strong all weekend. Um, so it definitely wasn't a fluke. Uh, and then we saw Maverick Vinales taking home his first podium for Aprilia in third, which again was another really awesome result. So the, um, the results were all great, particularly with um, Peko's bounce back. Um, but there's also a bit of controversy that we can talk about as well. And we'll start with, with Quattararo. So he's been bulletproof all, all season, really. He's been maximizing the output of that of that Yamaha wherever he can. He's got a few race wins that he probably shouldn't have. And, you know, where the race win wasn't really um, on the cards, he's been able to maximize the podiums and, and things like that. But this weekend, we really saw um, a capitulation from, from Quattararo, you know, twice um, during the race, which was definitely out of character. And even though he's still got a fairly comfortable position in the championship, it has um, made it a little bit less mm, absolute going into the uh, winter break. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was probably more surprised due to the circumstances than I probably would have been any other time. I mean, I mean a motorbike rider falling off is not an mm. uncommon thing, you know. Um, it's, not the, it's not the same as a crash in a car. No, definitely not. But you would think that with how the championship has sort of come along, that the um, there was really no pressure on him to to sort of make crazy moves and um, and go for like these massive lunges. So I mean, for me, that was probably the main reason I was surprised with the um, with the incident. Um, I mean, in in hindsight, I, I think he would be really ruining that that lunge that he did on Aleish, and I think Aleish would probably be a little bit more peeved than anyone with the pace that he showed to then get back from the fifteenth. Um, I think he came off after the lunge yeah. yep. to get back to fourth and really close to the to the to the lead because there wasn't really any sort of spread between the top. 10 riders, maybe mm. 10 seconds, maybe only like six seconds between the top six. Um, so it was, it was a real close race. I mean, Bagnaya uh, qualified on pole, led every lap, controlled the race really dominantly. Um, Bezeki kept him honest and put in some really good laps, especially on the older, the older version of that bike. Um, and, you know, really sort of showed the class that we all know he has. And so as a rookie, great result. Second at Assen is no sort of mean feat. Yep. Maverick has got his first podium for Aprilia, something that um, I think you would you probably wouldn't have expected three or four races ago when you were sort of... No, definitely were, not, but I'm super Maverick. happy. I'm super I mean, happy with, with the situation. 
I think it was last year at Aston when um, things with, with Yamaha and, and Maverick really started heating up and he got a podium last year and there's a picture of how miserable he looked on the podium last year compared to the um, the result this week. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, awesome sort of steps taken by Maverick to get more competitive on that bike. And, and then for Aleish to finish in fourth and really what could have been probably it could have been a double podium or at least a leash on the podium. Um, I mean, at the moment, Aprilia is looking as a team, like the, the strongest um, or the quickest improving team on the, um, on the grid. hundred percent where they've, yeah, they've over the course of the season. I mean, um, Aleish has been strong all year and he's been maximizing pretty much every race result. I mean, it still seems like the bike's a little bit fickle track to track. And by fickle, I mean, you know, sometimes he's racing for a race, you know, other times he's racing, you know, for top five. So it's, it is a little bit of, um, of scope in, in the bike. And that's understandable considering how early they are in kind of the uh, development of this new bike um, and considering where they came from, you know, 18 months ago. Um, but I think there was a real chance for that he could have won this race. Now, you know, obviously, uh, Bagnaya was controlling the race from the front fairly comfortably, um, but he did make some comments afterwards saying that for the whole race, he was kind of on eggshells uh, for fear of, of falling off the bike again, um, based on, you know, his recent performances. So if he was, if he was to get hypothetically a little bit of pressure from behind with someone like Aleish, who, who's been strong all weekend and, if you haven't seen the move that he made going into the last chicane um, from sixth to fourth, where he took Miller and um, who was fifth? I can't remember. Binder. Binder. Um, like like he, he was supremely confident on the bike this weekend. That's got to so be he, one of the best moves I've seen in a long time, I've got to say. And I mean, Bin, I mean Binder and Miller are known for breaking late. And, mm. and sort of Binder had a bit of contact with Miller, which sort of ran Miller wide. Mm. Um, which which they probably which yeah opened, they, they, they they hampered each other yeah like, 100%. And, and that's and that let Aleish um go through and I think in hindsight um Miller probably left Binder a little bit too much room mm. but I mean in terms of a spectacle the top six riders this weekend and probably Quadraro who wasn't there all looked like in really good form even mm. Miller like. He had to serve that that long penalty, the long lap penalty for yep. for hampering Maverick during qualifying. Which 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 that's another thing we haven't discussed with Maverick. He started back from like eleventh because he was on a flyer and and Miller had just crashed and he was mm. just loitering along with a broken foot peg, and um and Vinales just came upon him and had to abort had to abort his lap. So for Vinales to actually be able to make moves through the field, something that at the start of races, he really struggles with on 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 um, fresh tires that hasn't haven't really got up to temperature. Is a massive result for for Aprilia and him himself. Um, but yeah, I mean, Miller looked really good um, through the whole race. Um, he didn't get stuck in the midfield like he got he got dropped back to tenth um, after the long lap penalty. Binder looked really good as always. He's sort of that shining light for KTM that we sort of keep harping on about interesting they're, they're all the two they're the two teammates for next year as well which is a bit sort of humorous slash you know it's just interesting yeah and and then um i think nakagami had a relatively safe performance in, in i think it was 10th um but i mean all in all the big loser of the weekend was quadraro yeah. through no real need to sort of make or, or force a move just sort of take the points that are on offer. His 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 championship lead is now twenty one points, which is less than a race. Yeah. Um. And if Bagnaya, who I still think has an outside shot at the championship, like it's still relatively hard. But if him himself and Aleish can start taking the big point positions off Quadraro, that lead can drop quickly. You yeah. know. Yep. So I mean, all all it's done is it's given Ducati and Aprilia good vibes heading into the summer break. So now mm. there's five weeks of Yamaha wadiffing, 
And then yeah. also Quadraro went back out after he um after his crash. He came into the pit, spoke to the team, went back out, and then high sided himself. Well, the, the thing of that is he came in because he wasn't comfortable in the bike, and it seemed like they were kind of saying, "No, get back out there again and keep going." And he was pretty. It seemed he pre- seemed pretty peed off, like to have mm-hmm. to go back out again. And within yeah. half a lap, he high sided, and he did look a little bit injured when he was walking off the track, particularly on his right shoulder. Um, so if there's if there's something that comes out of that based on um, the team wanting to kind of get an extra point or so, then that, that could have I huge ramifications. I don't understand. I don't understand how the team would have thought they were going to get an extra point. Particularly when the, you see the other the Yamaha sl- bikes. But even the, like the the slower bikes are still fast enough that mm. if you're 20 seconds behind mm. plus and the, yeah. and, and the lap you're not is catching up, you're not going to catch up 20 seconds. Particularly as soon as you go into the pit lane. Nah, and his bike was, I think, three or four seconds slow lap after he got off. Like there was definitely damage to it. Yeah. So well, I don't know. The, I don't know what game they were playing. The, the Yamaha itself. I mean, we saw Binder have a huge moment, um, crash, a huge off. Um, the uh, what's his name? Darren Binder, not Brad Binder. Yeah. Um, we saw. I think Morbidelli um, high side. Morbidelli have no Morbidelli. Literally did the same thing. Oh, that, yes, um, that Quadraro did. Uh, yeah. the same corner just didn't have an Aprilia to kind of break his fall, unfortunately, uh, when he came off. And, you know, the, the bike just didn't look on for the, particularly the the lesser riders in the Yamaha stable. And then obviously, um, Quarter was having some issues with it as well. So hopefully there's, you know, no more issues to come from that. And I think, you know, we said it three weeks ago, but for the season to really come alive again, we need to see both those riders, particularly, um, not particularly, Bagnaia and uh, Espargaro, um, not working together, but, but being able to take some of those twenty-five point wins um, off of um, off of quarter. Now, I also said a couple of weeks ago that for Alesh to have a real shot at the championship, he needed two or three race wins, and this was probably a chance, the chance, for him to get a race win. And if he got, you know, twenty-five and quarter got eighteen, then that would have been a big deal. But if he was able to get 25 and obviously Quarter didn't finish the race, that would have been a huge swing of momentum in the championship. We were looking at more like an 11-point deficit going into the winter break as opposed to a 21-point deficit. So, um, so I will you know, say that 21 points does seem a lot more manageable and a lot more attainable than yeah, what than it did 30, before whatever, that race. 30, yeah, 35, whatever, whatever it might have been before that. Yeah, I do agree with that. Well, listen, any time it's within a race win, um, you never know when someone's going to throw it down the road. Um, and that's, you know, that's the reality of it. So, I mean, it definitely keeps the season uh, engaging. Bagnaya I mean, and Espargaro are both looking strong. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we, it's not like we haven't seen Quattararo start a season well and then come back after the winter break and, and not be as effective. Uh, we've seen it with him. We've seen it with Vinales on um, a... a Yamaha as well. We kind of saw it last year with Bagnaya kind of clawing his way back last season. I need to throw it away. Um, I need to throw it away late at the end. So, yeah. It's- I mean, I think the other thing that we take for granted is how little Quadraro has actually fallen off the bike. I mean, it's uncharacteristically lo- like the amount of sort of crashes he's had is 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 very low. Yeah, and um, it's funny like the two times his last two crashes have been at moments when you think the pressure would be totally off him. Like he'd won the championship last time. This time he had a really comfortable lead and looked to be extending it against his closest rival or was in a position mm. to extend it anyway. Mm. Um, you know, I just, I'm just happy. Sort of, I said last week, I thought the GP season was, was chalked. And, and while I still think Quarter is in the prime position, I definitely feel like this weekend in particular has, just thrown a bit of, you know, just a bit of jeopardy and spice in there to keep it interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And I agree. I'm, I'm happy for that. I really am. Mm. So, you know, moving forward with um, MotoGP, just to kind of finish off this, this segment, we also saw this week that, um, and I found this, you know, something interesting to talk about. We saw that uh, Alex Mark has signed with Grassini for 2023. Yeah. yeah. And, it's he's he's had a few bright you know spots um 
with Honda, particularly towards the end of his Repsol Honda season, where he got two podium finishes, one at Le Mans, I think, one at, uh, couldn't tell you the second podium finish. But it's been quite a tumultuous relationship at LCR for the most part, um, with a lot more lows than highs. He's going to a team and to a bike that seems like it's a lot more ergonomic for the rider. I mean, Honda for the last three, four years has not been a rideable bike for anyone apart from Marquez, uh, Mark Marquez, that is. So how do you feel about the move? Do you think that it can ignite a career? We know that he's got the pedigree to win championships. He's done it. We know that he's more of a um, slow and steady kind of rider um, that will win on a bike that gives him the chance to, but he's not necessarily going to take a bike and manhandle it to the point where he will win on something that doesn't deserve to, if that makes sense. So what do you make of the move? Do you think it can resurrect his career? And if things don't go well, um, particularly on a bike like that, could that be the end of his MotoGP journey? I definitely think that um, there are a few riders who are going to teams now that are going to make and are going to, are going to make or break sort of mm. this will be their last stop if it doesn't work kind of thing. Yeah. Um, in terms of Alex Marcus, I think it's, it's, it's a blessing in disguise. I honestly think the Grassini bike will be better than, than the Honda. Like yeah. We've seen so many young riders really, you know, mesh with the, the Ducati and, and, and they don't need to be winning, vying for wins. They just need to be finishing, you know, well in the points, you know, just, just, you know, being up there. And I think the Ducati will definitely give him that ability to. I think the same thing about um, Oliveira going to Aprilia. I mean, if it doesn't work there, then I think it's his last stop. Yeah. But as in terms of the bike as we see it now, it's definitely a better bike than the KTM. Um, that I think the, the, the riders who, interestingly, interestingly enough, are going to, are probably taking a step back are the two Suzuki guys who are both going to Hondas, albeit different teams. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean the, the potential for a great bike next year is definitely there because it's Honda. And, but they and, haven't really, like and, Marquez isn't testing the bike. The people yeah, that well, are Marquez on the bike the keep Marquez, falling off the bike. Marquez has been, has been consistently um, competitive this year when he was there. Mm. And I think... Um, Rins has the kind of riding style that he can extract the the, the maximum speed out of a bike. Yep. But it's interesting because he's known to be a crasher. And mm. the reason why both LCR boys are, are leaving. leaving LCR is because um well, they the, can't keep it on they can't keep it on the tarmac either, right? Yeah, they and, and it down I can't, the, I can't, I can't keep, the name of the owner of the team is slipping me. Luciano Cecinello. Uh, yeah, so he's got sick of them sort of falling off the bike, hence why Nakagami will be leaving as well, who's, I think, come to the end of his MotoGP career for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think especially for Alex, the bike is going to give him the best chance to succeed and also it seems to be a more stable bike to perform on week in, week out. So I, in, in, in a funny way, I think it's actually a improvement improvement for him, yeah. Um, so it's going to be definitely interesting. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's a bad rider. And, and in hindsight, I think the bikes he's ridden have been subpar. Mm. And he has shown glimpses of, of you know, talent. And he's a world champion. So he, you don't get that from being a scrub. Yeah. And and looking at him as a, you know, taking out the Mark Marquez brother aspect of it, I think he definitely deserves a chance at another team. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do. All right. Well, let's move into um, our second topic for the evening. And this is probably something that is a little bit less known um, to probably yeah, I, our, I our audience. I want to give a disclaimer for this one. Yeah. Because I think this is this is a, a me and you indulging ourselves kind of topic. Hmm. Um, so disclaimer is if you have no interest in endurance racing, um, maybe this will give him an interest man yeah this might give you an interest but if you have no interest and you find this boring you feel free to um to tap out like I, no, I, don't... I i i think i think you've sold it wrong i think you've already sold it negatively man this is what right. i will say i'll say this i'll say that um 
probably a lot of the people that are listening um, probably haven't had uh, You're making an assumption that a lot of people are listening. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> well, the, hey, the numbers are going up. The numbers are going up, which is so good. The seven of you who are um, listening. Yeah. If, if we can, if we can convince one of you, I, I feel like I've well, added. Well, I think to the I think community. this is the thing. I think you know we've been saying for the longest time, not the longest time, but maybe for the last six months or so that I mean, like Formula One is like the gateway drug to motorsport. It's flashy, it's fast. They're short races, they're cool looking cars, they're superstar drivers. You know, they're huge, huge celebrities. So it's kind of like the gateway drug to motorsport. Um, and it is the pinnacle of motorsport. Like, let's not get it mistaken. Like if you, if you are an aspiring driver, you know, and you want to kind of get somewhere, you want to get to formula one. Um, but as we've seen over the last, you know, couple of conversations that we've been having, there are things about formula one that are definitely, um, challenging at times, particularly the more you get interested in the sport and the, and the kind of the less you see the sport through the lens of. Netflix, for example, and the more you start seeing motorsport on the merits of of the actual product that you watch race I to feel race. It's, I feel it's once um, you start, you start, once you need aspects of racing, such as like team strategy, you start looking at pit strategy, tire strategy. When you, when you start looking at motorsport through that kind of lens and that's sort of like um, where your mind is going while a race is, mm. is happening, I feel like that's when um, stuff like en- like the appeal of endurance racing definitely comes to the fore. I and I mean, I- and here, here's the thing: we're talking, we, we use endurance racing as such a broad term. So I just mm. want to sort of give a um, beginner's sort of synopsis for what we're talking about. So a couple of weeks ago, I I um, mentioned the Le Mans 24 Hours, and the reason why. Um, it's such a big event is because as big as formula one is the name of Le Mans in, in, in the motorsport sphere is probably just as big as the name of, of formula one. And the reason is, it's because it is quite simply the greatest motorsport race on the planet. Um, and <laughs> I was thinking about this before and I, and, and, uh, our brother Thomas will really enjoy this terminology, but um, when you talk about motorsport, there are brands involved in motorsport that um, Jose Mourinho might refer to as racing heritage. And and what we're talking about, what I mean with racing heritage, is that we we have these brands like Porsche, like BMW, like um, Ferrari to, going back, Ferrari, Toyota. Um, Alpine slash Renault, however they want to decide that. Honda, Peugeot. Peugeot, like brands like this, big racing brands who have definitely sort of dipped in in um, interest. Notoriety. Not notoriety, but they've definitely dipped in the interest they have had in motorsport of recent years and um, are all sort of coming back now to endurance racing in in numbers that we've never seen before. Like that, that's the part that sort of has got me on this, on the, um, on this train of thought. Well, so if I, I can th- just jump in for a second before you go any further. Yeah. Um, we made a mention of it, I think a fortnight ago um, when we were talking about formula one and talking about kind of the exclusivity of formula one, but then also some issues that need to be rectified with the sport. We were talking about, uh, the number of races that are in a season, how they're getting, you know, more and more numerous. We spoke about um, the artificial overtaking that is rife in the sport now. Um, and it's just kind of looking more and more bizarre as the DRS zones get longer and longer. Um, we spoke about the difficulty to attract other sponsors to the new formula within the sport. We spoke about the teams not wanting to allow another team like Andretti to come into the sport. So all of these things, you know, while the the tracks as well, you know, while the sport is booming um, financially with the help of kind of the drive to survive and then also the the new marketing strategies that they have in place, there are definite elements of the racing and of, you know, the DNA of motorsport that are less than ideal at this particular time. And I think we saw 
Um, and if you have any interest in, in WEC, the World Endurance Championship, you can see similarities of where that sport was five, six, seven years ago. We had these amazingly quick um, LMP1 cars or, you know, the top tier of endurance prototypes. Um, and the prices for those, um, you know, uh, programs were becoming, you know, similar to that of a Formula One team. Astronomical. Yeah. Uh, and I think what WEC and even um, American prototype racing realized was that we need to have a formula that is consistent in America, but also in Europe. So that if you've got a team that wants to to race at the big races in Europe and the big races in America, they're not having two separate programs to do that. They can have one car that will put a um, cost cap to for how much it's going to cost. We'll put um, regulations in place, place for kind of the output of the engines and all those kind of things so that you can build whatever engine you want. Uh, but this is the output that it's going to have so that everybody's on the same playing field. The downforce levels that are generated from the chassis um, all have numerical values associated with them as well. So they really uh, peeled back um, the expectations for the category. And a consensus was made in Europe and in America to allow that to happen. And what we're seeing now is with the um, costs of these cars going down considerably, uh, we were at a period of time when we had three manufacturers in the top tier. We had Toyota, uh, sorry, we had Toyota, we had Porsche, we had Audi. Um, and even those teams couldn't um, justify the amount of money they were spending to go racing. One and two of well, them though, left. Just before, before sorry, we just even, let me just let me finish this train of conversation. Train I just wanted to say it. that Nissan tried to even tap in mm. midway, and yeah. that was the, the, one of the biggest motorsport yeah. failures yeah. we've seen. A, yeah, and that's a really good point. Um, but with the peeling back of the regulations and having a concerted effort to make prototype racing accessible to more people, so that you didn't necessarily have to be one of these superpower manufacturers we've seen a, a huge boom. Okay, so we've got Porsche that's coming in and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We already addressed BMW a couple of weeks ago. Ferrari's joining, Lamborghini's joining, Cadillac are in, Acura, Honda are in, um, Glickenhaus who are a privateer are in, Renault are coming in with the Alpine brand as well. Peugeot's, I mean, in. Peugeot's come in as well. So we're seeing a whole bunch of teams, a whole bunch of manufacturers joining or rejoining the top tier of prototype racing. And that has only come about because the championship that uh, WEC and IMSA as well um, have been able to say, you know, regardless of what we think is great racing, regardless of these high performance cars that we've got at the top of our tier, the prestige from the championship doesn't come from like the car that we're designing or from the engineering, even though that's amazing. It comes from the manufacturer's support. Uh, and I think that's something that's really awesome about this particular category. And if there's you know, one thing that you might want to look into over the next 12 months or so, it is the um, World Endurance Championship in Europe, um, just to see what we're talking about here. Now, they are longer races. I wouldn't necessarily say kind of watch a six-hour race, but you can definitely watch on YouTube you know, a 45-minute highlight package and, and you'll see just how awesome um, the racing is and just what it means to kind of watch racing where you've got cars that can overtake. You know, there's definitely things like drag that need to be taken to, into effect and so on and so forth. But the ability for these cars to follow each other, um, to sit in each other's dirty um, dirty wakes and to, and to still make really good passing manoeuvres without the need for... for DRS or for uh, push to pass and those things that we've spoken about um, really does make the motorsport enthusiast salivate for, for what the future of this championship holds. I think one thing that um, you can, or you can um, concur with me about is when we started, when we started on our, this is going to sound so lame, on our endurance racing journey, uh, sort of that, our, does, the, that does sound fandom, lame. It sounds so super lame, but anyway, when we when we first got into it, there definitely was a um, European, as in WEC, and American, as in IMSA, divide. Mm -hmm. And at the time, there was a it was a divide that people saw never getting mended, and and it was mainly down to the two organisations having a sort of 
pissing contest of we we wanting to be the 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 better of the championships and we saw well we thought you respect cars we saw that um imsa had a lot of more diversity had more diversity and more diverse grids Mm. and 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 they didn't want to cross pollinate because they're both trying to keep the part of their championship that they saw was uh, made them better they they wanted to keep that away from from the other um sort of side and then what we saw was was with the decline in LMP run racing in Europe and, and the sort of the manufacturers leaving for the reason that was cost too much. And at the same time, we saw a boom in DPI, which was the top tier of um, prototype racing in America. We saw a boom, but then also we saw the, 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 the manufacturers want to spend a bit more money to make their cars a little bit more bespoke than a normal prototype car. And and then and and what happened was we had on one side of the pond teams wanting to spend less money to go in juniors racing, and what we saw on the other side of the pond was teams wanting to spend a little bit more to sort of be a little bit faster than the normal LMP2 that you can buy from your manufacturer. And what this led to was if one dropped their prices considerably, but to a sort of a level that a manufacturer is willing to spend, and one brought them up a little bit more we got an even playing field across both ponds. Mm. And then the other thing was, is that they, they've made the, the, um, the regulations of racing a lot more open. So they've said, you bring a car that sort of sticks between, within these guidelines, as in wheelbases, car heights, bring whatever so, engines you want, and we'll yeah. balance them. Well, I think, sorry, just to, just to um, interject a little bit, one category that has been working really well in LMP, uh, sorry, in endurance racing for the last decade or so is the category called LMP2, which is the second tier of the um, endurance category. They're cars that are um, pretty much all run the same engines, or there's only a few engines that you can choose from. There's, and there's, only, there's only Gibson now. There's a Gibson engine, and then there's only about three or four chassis um, that can be purchased for this category. So there's no one that's actually building their own chassis. And everyone only it, races one chassis now. Mm, well, they, yeah, exactly. It's all, the, it's all the Orica. Um, right. So it makes it very easy if you want to go endurance racing. You're obviously not a manufacturer. You don't have the budget to be in the top tier to race in this particular category. What um, WEC and IMSA both realized was that rather than getting these um, manufacturers, people like Porsche, Toyota, et cetera, who um, spend all their money developing an engine, developing a chassis, et cetera, they said, bring us an engine and throw your engine into one of our pre-existing chassis. And then all you need to do is to design the bodywork for that chassis that's so that it suits kind of your market relevance with the car that you're trying to sell it for. So straight away, they said, you know, underneath the skin of the car, we're not too worried about it. Like it doesn't need to be revolutionary. LMP2 is working well. The chassis are working well. The balance of performance is working well. Bring an engine that's within this particular output range um, and then bring a skin that kind of sells your brand. So manufacturers can look at that and say, yeah, we're not spending all this R&D money having to develop things that aren't really important. It's um, not even that. It's even by getting these bespoke manufacturers, the ones I'm talking about, as in Orica, Ligier, uh, Multimatic. Yep. <coughs> the, uh, even the, the, um, even Dallara. Dallara. So these four brands have got so much experience building endurance cars. You then have um, manufacturers like BMW, Lamborghini, Cadillac um, working with these brands to then Mm. build the actual car. And then we've seen if their BMW coming out next year as well, the engine itself is eerily similar in terms of uh, output. And um, it's pretty much identical to the old DTM engine that BMW used to run a couple of years ago in the old DTM formula. So we're seeing with the opening of the rules, um, these teams taking pre-existing technologies that that are still cutting edge and being able to then implement them in endurance racing um, because the rules have have allowed that flexibility. I think brings the budget down considerably. I think the point that you're really trying to make, and it's, I think it's at the heart of the of the DNA of this particular formula now within endurance racing is that 
with the regulations that they've put into place for this upcoming evolution of the sport, it doesn't facilitate an arms race and the need to have an engine that is continually developed. I mean, they've kind of said, this is the output you need. Bring a V6 turbo, bring a V8, bring whatever you want, bring a you know singing V10 if you want, provide that it reads this particular output. Um, we're happy for you to race whatever you want. If you want to have a super hybrid engine, bring that. If you want to have a perfectly, purely naturally aspirated engine, bring that. Um, and I think even if you want to, if you want to spend the money and build a bespoke car, mm, yeah. like Toyota have, yeah. like Glickenhaus has, like Peugeot is, by all means, you know, go for it. But, but it also, also means- if you, you you're still going to be pegged back. You're going to be not hamstrung by the regulations. You're not going to be hamstrung, but everyone's going to be on an even playing yeah, field, which then cool. means teams won't have to push hard in the R&D development. Mm. You know what I mean? Like a lot that's of the, right. the things that are going to mean the most is team strategy, sort of, you know, using your driver strategy well, um, overtaking qualifying. So stuff like this, like the real things that we want from racing um, mm. and making, you know, are going to become relevant again. I think, and I think the other thing that has to be discussed, so, and um, has the other thing that has to be discussed, particularly when you kind of draw a juxtaposition between this and Formula One, is we have the constant conversation in Formula One about hierarchy. Those teams that are at the top, based on the finances they have at their disposal, filled, and then all the way through to your teams at the bottom, whether they be Williams, Alfa Romeo, whatever you want to say. I mean, what we've seen here is a decision by, I mean, in the past, WEC kind of was trying to be on parallel with Formula One saying that we have the most innovative cars, we have the most innovative machines, this highly integrated turbid hybrid system, et cetera. And it was all focused on engineering, which is fantastic. It's a great way to sell your product. It's a great way to sell cars. If you want to show that they're green, you know, emission, uh, reducing etc in realistically there's, but, no, there's no exactly. doubt that the cars of the best hybrid on the road at the moment are the cars that were racing in that category well look at toyota toyota's hybrid um cars that they have on the road now are so far ahead of everyone else and the reason for that is because they were the only ones that didn't pull out and you're yeah. seeing if you were to look at the um, rav4 for example and you listen to that thing take off then go watch a pit stop with the toyota what is it, GR001, whatever it's called, mm. um, sounds exactly the same. Mm. And it would, wouldn't surprise me if it's a very similar hybrid Concept. system that they've taken straight from that and thrown into their road car. But the point I was trying to make is a, con- a, a concerted decision was made to kind of change the philosophy from you know, high-powered engineering and a lot of money going into R&D and saying, what do people really want? After a six-hour race, they're not really worried about how the hybrid systems performing great if it's still there great if teams want to use that technology and develop it through our through our particular racing series but people just want to care about racing and they just want to see a multitude of teams being able to perform which probably leads into the next point that should be raised and that is the ability for privateers to purchase a car from a toyota from a ferrari from a uh, renault or a porsche and that and, and, that's and to if, race them that's if the, the manufacturer wants to sell them. Yeah, hundred. Like so, so a team like Porsche yeah. is gonna sell um, race cars because Porsche are well, the best do. at selling good race cars to um, high perform, like the good high performing teams. And I think there will definitely be rules and and probably a limit to how many are sold to keep the grids, you know, in a without them going overboard. Mm. But whenever a category gives the ability for privateers to buy cars and then sort of it's, it doesn't mean that you can't take your manufacturer team there, but it just gives the longevity of the, of, of the series. It just adds to the longevity because when a manufacturer decides to pull out and that's the downside of having 10 manufacturers that there's definitely going to be manufacturers who pull out when, when they're going, so when they're not getting the results that they 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 deem to be worthy of it. You always have manufacturer uh, uh, privateers who can bolster the, the numbers. Void. Yeah, I think. But the other thing that has to be said is, anytime you give 
manufacturers and those big teams a chance to make some kind of income and revenue from these cars that they're producing, it also builds up the 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 kind of the cachet of the of the particular category. I mean, you talk about well, you kind of just had a little bit of an homage last week to the, you know, to GTE, you yeah. know, the GTE category within um, WEC that's kind of been running for the last ten years or so. That category worked really well and was always relevant because you had a tier for the top manufacturers, but then anyone who wanted to buy those cars as well kind of gave income to those manufacturers and there was a source of relevance for them. It wasn't like they were just putting money in and racing those particular cars for um, kind of uh, just for the joy and love of racing. They were able to actually make some kind of revenue from that yeah, there, particular there was endeavor as well something category- interesting porsche said was that their whole uh gt program at le mans was funded from the selling of their gt3 gte mm. and um gt cup cars mm. you know so like when when you can make money off something that you're then racing yeah when, when you can balance add so much to states add so much sustainability to the ability for manufacturers to go racing mm. And this think, is real, and, and what we're seeing as well is really a. I'm going to use a, a fake term, but it's a very GT threeifying of prototype racing. Whereas manufacturers can bring in pretty much whatever car they want as long as it sticks rel- uh, relatively, you know, loosely to the specifications, and then the governing bodies, i.e., WEC and IMSA, will then make them all co- um, competitive with with each other. And yeah, that rubs some people up the wrong way, which a lot of things in motorsport do. But what it does do is then it gives all the teams a relevance and an ability to compete on a player uh, on a fair playing field. And I think we'll see something like success ballast being introduced to keep like to keep it um, close, close without sort of making it artificial with sort of tweaks to turbo and stuff, which we'll see as well. But um, I think the the real reason I feel so passionate about it and you do as well is because we are going to see a top tier of prototype racing that has 10 manufacturers in it. We have, I think you ran them before, you got Porsche, BMW, Toyota, Glickenhaus, Alpine, um, Peugeot. So you've got a few from France. Ferrari. Ac- Ferrari, Lamborghini. Lamborghini, Acura, Honda. Um, and these are just Cadillac. The one, Cadillac. So th- these are the ones that have just stated they're going to be coming in the next 2023 or 2024. Um, so we can definitely see more added to these numbers. Um, and I just think it's just like if if you have a craving to, you know, expand your horizons past Formula One, supercars, MotoGP, which is what we mainly talk about and and, and get into a, endurance category i think next year is a very exciting time to sort of get immersed in 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 the whole um endurance racing sort of scene as a whole because we're gonna you're probably gonna see the strongest in terms of manufacturer running that we've seen in the last i don't know 15 years since really since the 90s since the era of gt1 yeah prototype racing um We're kind and of going back group there. Three or group yeah. C, sorry. The last thing that I did want to say before we close up, and, and it's another um, salient point about the direction of uh, prototype racing is that with the number of manufacturers that are coming in and some of the brands that we have rattled off, what we do have and what the connections are already being made between a manufacturer and the teams that normally run their cars in other categories. So say, for example, you've got a team like... Um, um, We've seen AF Corsa is going Ferrari. to be the Ferrari yeah. team. So you've got a team like Ferrari. Ferrari's developing the um, the prototype car for 2024, I think it is. 23. 23. The team that's going to be running it is AF Corsa, which has been their, their kind of flagship GT3 slash GTE team you know, for the longest time. However, down the line, let's say the car's quite good. I could very easily see other Ferrari teams, um, Rinaldi Racing, et cetera, that might say, hey, we've got the budget to purchase one of these cars and run one of these cars. Um, Let's give it a go. 
because it's a cust it's a it's a category that is now conducive to custom racing. Um, and what we will also have are an, a surplus of really qualified GT drivers that have been racing for these teams in GT3 or GTE categories that have kind of bit consolidated in the in over the next two years or so. You know that they might be able to hire out to some of these smaller privateers and say, hey, take our car, but also take this driver as well and see if you can kind of get a result at a Le Mans or at a Sebring or whatever it might be. Daytona. Yeah, whatever race it is. So I think the the relationships that already exist between manufacturers and GT3 teams um, could also be um, kind of reforged or at least continually reinforced um, through this new championship, well, th- not through this new category within the WEC slash IMSA championship. So it's really great to see. And also, I mean, I said this just in passing. I read last week that Andretti, I mean, Andretti were talking to Alpine over the last six months to join F1 and kind of essentially be a B team to the Alpine cars um, kind of didn't go through. But Alpine went to Andretti and said, would you like to kind of run our um, prototype cars in, in North America? So rather than Alpine running you know, a factory team in Europe and in North America, they'll kind of run a WEC team and Andretti can use the same machinery um, and kind of be the spearhead of that operation in, in North America. So the the transmissibility of that particular product between teams, you know, intercontinentally um, seems like it's going to be, you know, really effective for the future of the category. And then you will see all those teams from North America and Europe converging on Le Mans and that will definitely harken back to the 80s and 90s uh, and, and the glory days of prototype racing. Well, if you look at it, the teams that are being linked heavily with this endurance, that you've got Penske now said to be running the Porsche American and European side of prototype racing. Mm-hmm. We have um, Ganassi that's running the, the main Cadillac sort of contingency of cars that are coming in. And we've seen them do that with the Ford GT Mm-hmm. Um, version on both sides of the pond as well. Um, you've got Rahal Lanigan, Letterman Lanigan running the BMWs. We've we've seen now the Acura Honda sort of stable be moved between two teams, which is Maya Shank Racing and um, Wayne, uh, Taylor. Wayne Taylor Racing. And although they've said they're not going to be assaulting Le Mans next year in 2023, which is probably due to the fact that they need to get, you know, they need time to sort of work out the kinks of these cars in their own competition. You can definitely, definitely see these big, you know, teams that are taking these manufacturers on once they've worked out the kinks, all converging on Le Mans in a year or two. Yeah. Within saying, yeah, by saying that also, I could very easily see them. Let's say they were having a good showing against um, Porsche at, uh, Daytona and then what's the early rate Sebring for example and yeah. they were uber competitive I could very easily see them saying well you know we're why kind not? of at a development to a point where we're competitive why not give it a go rather than kind of leaving it for next year let's just go there and use it as a test year you know what I mean so very the early season uh, performance of Acura in particular could very easily determine whether they do make the move to Le Mans next year as well which is which is exciting Exciting time is on the horizon. That's what, that's that's sort of how I'm feeling at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we might have just thrown a lot of uh, jargon at, at everyone. That have might have no understanding of what we've spoken about, uh, and that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you got to start somewhere. But I think, uh, I mean, I hope it encourages we, one person to go for a deep dive. Yeah, I mean, the reason why we kind of deep dived for half an hour about it is kind of, I mean, we're a we're a motorsport podcast, and I think something that um, apart from kind of telling the stories of every weekend in racing and kind of giving our opinion on it, I mean, it's also important to be able to say, hey, if you love this particular racing or if, you know, you're, you're, if you're thinking the same things that we're thinking about with Formula One and the avenue that it's going on right now, et cetera, and you, you kind of agree with our sentiment, well, then there's probably a very good chance that you're going to like some of the racing that we enjoy for those same reasons or because they've been able to alleviate these issues. So, um, we're super excited about it um, and we've kind of been in the category for you know for the better part of a decade decade now 
Um, but if you're new to the category, I mean, what a super, what an exciting time for you to jump in. I mean, I wish that I didn't know the category sometimes just so you get the excitement of being like, I mean, what the hell is this? How come I had no idea about it? Um, so give it a chance. I would, what I would say is give it a chance. Go onto YouTube, follow the um, WEC and IMSA pages. You can subscribe to them. And both out of, if, you're out of, if you're out of the United States, if you subscribe for IMSA, you'll be able to watch every, every race, race, race yeah. on YouTube. Yeah. Yep. And if you've got Stan Sport, our other friends that we don't get any money from, you can watch plug. every WEC race. But then also, if you don't want to watch all those races, subscribe to their YouTube channels. WEC do a great job doing a 45-minute race recap. So if you've got a week off like this week where there's no Formula 1, you can plug one of those races on and get all the action in 45 minutes. And IMSA do the same thing. They actually put every race live onto YouTube as well um, after the event. They have event. a nice 15-minute highlights package Highlight package as well. As well. Um, and then you can kind of just get the juices flowing there. Get amongst it. Honestly, that's all I can say. Get amongst it. It's good stuff. We have Silverstone coming up this week as well. So yep. we'll, be bring, we'll bring you the podcast again next week with a bit of a debrief from Silverstone, one of the uh, premier events you know in the formula one season one of the best tracks for overtaking high speed a uh, bit of drama Verstappen versus hamilton last year um so there'll be a bit more news coming then we also have an interview lined up uh in the next couple of weeks we'll see a guest of the show return as well just to give us their insight into the week in formula one coming up so check out uh, or be you know ready for that be ready for that as well uh, and please keep liking, subscribing, reviewing. The numbers on the pod are definitely going up. I think we're pushing up close to a thousand downloads now, which while not a huge number is big for us. We've had an explosion on socials in the last couple of weeks with shares and likes and, and if comments you do enjoy, from other people. If you do enjoy Formula One, supercars, MotoGP, endurance racing, let us know in the comments so we sort of can, um, you know, just gives us a, a bit of, Guidance in, yeah, it just gives a bit of guidance in what you know people are enjoying the most. Mm. And um, if you do like endurance, it'll give us a bit more um, sort of a reason to talk about it a little bit more at the moment. And if, um, and, and if, you, and if you don't, tell us to shut up. And if you're interested in joining us on the pod uh, any given week to kind of give your feelings or inputs to uh, a particular category or topic, please just get um, in touch with us on our socials and we'd be more than happy to tee up a time for you to join us on the pod for a week. Uh, and we'd love to hear someone else's opinion about the things that we always talk about. So thanks guys uh, for listening to another podcast. Hope you really enjoyed it. Hope that you took something away from the second part of the podcast in particular. Uh, it's exciting time in motorsport um, and you know we can't wait for it as well. So please have a great week and we'll chat with you again um, after Silverstone next week. So thanks so much guys. Have a great night. Cheers, Joey. Thanks, mate. Cheers, buddy. Champion.